buys her away. The naughty harlot. To do exactly the opposite of whatever a man begs her to do. The rumours of what was coming were brought by pack-horse over the high moors, and ships that carried word to shore. It could not be ignored. Should not have been ignored, but it was. Even by me. Maybe we thought that there, in that isolated village, with the steep hills protecting our backs and the raging sea as our ramparts in front, we were safe in an impregnable fortress. But when time lays siege to her castle, there is no fortress that she cannot take in the end. I, above all, should have known the game's mistress time plays. I was her creation, or rather the creation of my master, who was in her pay. My master was proud of his handiwork, of me. You see, I'm a nairn, a dwarf, but I'm not a natural dwarf, though you'd never guess to look at me, as my master constantly reminded me all the days I was growing up, or in my case, not growing up. I'm a sculpture, a carving, a work of art that took years of patient craftsmanship to perfect. Not that I could ever disclose that to a living soul. My old master was paid a handsome purse for the purchase of a genuine dwarf, for they're valuable creatures. But it would have been my miserable carcass upon which my new lord would have vented his fury if he'd ever discovered he'd been cheated. You see, real dwarfs, natural-born dwarfs, are bringers of good luck. They protect the household from all kinds of evil and misfortune, like the relic of a saint or an amulet— only we dwarfs have more uses than simply to hang around on a wall. We can protect you from any sickness and cure any ailment. Just rub us on the affected part like bear grease onto a bald pate and see the miracle we can perform. Which they can perform. But not me. I am a fake. I am the alchemist's stone, which is nothing but a polished pebble, the finger of the holy saint which is merely a dried chicken bone. I watched my master create other dwarfs as he had made me, and he was right. It requires rare talent and much time to create us little people. But I'll tell you the secret. Give it to you for nothing. Now that is a bargain you can't refuse. First, you take a lusty infant. They must be strong to survive the moulding, and fit it with an iron frame over its baby head and face. One of the iron bars, with hooks on either end, goes in that little toothless mouth to stretch the lips into a permanent wide grin. Dwarfs are supposed to look cheerful, and it spares us the effort of having to fix our mouths into a grin in company. It wouldn't do for that smile to slip now, would it? The other iron bars of the bridle flatten the baby's button nose and squeeze its skull so that the forehead bulges with wisdom and intelligence. Next, you must rub the infant's spine daily with the fat of tiny creatures, shrews or dormice, bats or moles, are thought to be most efficacious. Finally, you strap the infant in its iron bridle into a snug stout box, open at the front, of course, for you don't want to suffocate your little homunculus. <laughs> Think of all that wasted time and money. Suckle it daily on the juices of dwarf elder, not grass and daisies mixed with milk from a dwarf goat. As the baby grows in its box, it will be compressed and deformed, squished and squashed ever tighter, till it emerges from its mould 
formed like a gingerbread mannequin into the squat little dwarf that lords and ladies so desire. My master was a kindly man, as he always reminded us whenever he beat us. It wrought his heart to hear the infants cry out with pain from the cramp and sores, and being so tender-hearted, he could never bring himself to break their limbs to hasten the process, or dislocate their joints to make them bendy as acrobats. Dwarfs could be fashioned in a fraction of the time by such methods, he told me, though he never thought the results looked truly authentic. As a craftsman, he prided himself on the slow, careful moulding of the tender clay. <laughs> and when I was ready, fully baked, so to speak, he sold me for a heavy purse to a sycophant who bought me as a gift for Sir Nigel Loring, the powerful envoy and confidant of Edward the Black Prince, the hero of the battles of Crecy and Poitiers. As I was to discover, my new lord...